welcome to the Social Minute, the podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today we'll be covering Minute 18, which covers from 17 on the clock to 17.59. Uh, we start out with um, Marilyn being curious as to the amount of hits that the website got. Um, and then halfway through the minute, we meet the Winklevoss twins. Um, and they have a really weird conversation about going round in circles. Um, and it finishes with the line, just row the damn boat. And then mm. off they go. Um, and, that, and that's where the minute ends. It's a nice little minute. Um, we start off by meeting, finally, she's been sitting in the background for a little bit. Uh, but we now finally get some dialogue from yeah. Rashida Jones. Um, who in the script is described as the attractive second year mm. associate. I don't know if uh, Aaron Sorkin would, would get away with that, if that script came out nowadays. People are like, well, I haven't mentioned that she's attractive. But why, what the hell's the deal with that? But... Yeah, and of course we have the infamous exchange which uh, found its way into pretty much every single trailer and TV spot, which is the site got 2,200 hits within two hours. And then, of course, Mark Zuckerberg corrects her and says, mm. thousand. And she's like, what? And it's like, 22,000. And and of course she then pauses and I, 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 what's weird is it's almost like she's seeing you know Thor lift the hammer for the first time where she's like wow <laughs> and that's where that scene ends and her amazement at a website getting twenty two thousand hits in the year two thousand six is so kind of weird I, I I don't know but like I guess I guess maybe she comes from the kind of the you know the days of GeoCities where you'd put like a little counter at the bottom of your page. And you'd be like, oh, man, it's going to be stuck at 15 forever. <laughs> Literally, nobody's going to look at my my GeoCities all about they yeah. might be giants. I'm just never going to get up to 16. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you, you course... still got the address for that, uh, Darren? I think I might need to <laughs> give that a look. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, GeoCities ah. is dead, isn't it? Um, you know, which, which puts pay to the lie, uh, the internet is not written in pencil, mm. it's written in ink. Unfortunately, it's not written in ink. It's written in dead links. Um, it's only a very brief, like literally like 20 seconds here of Rashida Jones um, actually finally getting a chance to talk. Now, there is a very good internet series on YouTube called, uh, I, I can't even remember what it's called now, but it, it's done by this lawyer and he watches, you know, f f like Lord kind of stuff in films, uh, mostly kind of court scene stuff. And he talks about how accurate or inaccurate they are. And I think he did like Liar Liar and he's done like A Few Good Men. And um, I think there's a couple of other, I think he did like A Time to Kill. Like there's, you know, there's been a few like Grishams and stuff that he's covered. Um, and he actually spoke about, like he did like a really long video, like about half an hour going through all of the court stuff that's in Social Network. None of it, of course, is actually in the court. It's just depositions. And he said that, well, you know, some of the stuff that um, is done later on where the, the one lawyer kind of keeps setting up Eduardo Saverin, he said that's not realistic. Like, there'd be, there'd be no point in a deposition for her to be constantly setting him up to deliver kind of mm. like the punchlines. Um, but he said that this is accurate. And by this, I mean the wealthy lawyers leaving the room to go get something to eat at like a fancy restaurant down the road while the associate is left in the room to babysit <laughs> the client. Um, and just eat, you know, like, um, I don't know, like a, a sandwich or something that's been left in the... Like, he, he said that this is very realistic. He said this is what second-year associates do, basically, is they babysit clients while the people who get paid, you know, millions go and eat fancy kind of steak dinners <laughs> down the road. Um, so I... I and, and that's kind of... I, it's a really good video. I can't even remember what it's called, but I'm sure if you search for, like, you know, real lawyer watches the social network and stuff, you'll pretty much find it. 
And I don't know he, the way he like some of the that's the kind of thing that stuck with me is like yeah this is realistic you do get just left behind while everybody who's <laughs> rich goes and eats and it's uh, that kind of stuck with me but yeah I don't know I mean Rashida Jones obviously I mean what can we say about oh, Rashida Jones just the, um, well the, she is like a, a kind of instilled in like Hollywood royalty really like obviously people don't know she's the daughter of Quincy Jones like legendary record producer and Peggy Lipton from like Twin Peaks and the Mod Squad and stuff. The ageless Peggy Lipton uh, still looks, and she's in her seventies now, still looks just in, in, incredible. But, uh, and yeah, but the uh, Rashida Jones is always kind of a, um, a, a re- weird actress to me. Not like, you know, let's say weird. I always feel slightly, uh, bad for her because I like her and she's very talented, but she always up, up until Angie Tribeca started, she always seemed to be kind of given just like the straight role and just the kind of the boring character. Like she's in the office, but she doesn't really get to do much in it. She's just sort of like a love, a love rival for uh, John Krasinski. And then she's in like most of Parks and Rec, but like on every, every other character in Parks and Rec is like zany and they all have their quirks and stuff, but she's like the level headed straight one. And so I think she, when she gets pregnant and she gets a bit more to do because she gets to be like angry and explode at people loads and stuff. But like as a character for like, but seven odd seasons, she's just really like, yeah, that's just Anne. Yeah, that's Rashida Jones. Just like, and then she'll be in like rom coms and you know, um, I think it's she in like I Love You Man and stuff. But she's just like the girlfriend or the wife, and she's always given. The oh, I'm, role. I'm, like, I'm sorry, but I'm not hearing a word said against I Love You Man. <laughs> that is, uh... not, I'm not poo pooing the movie. I'm just saying her part in it is just very. She's just like, oh yeah, she's just like the you know the. The, the the spanner in the works for these guys' relationship and that uh, she's just like the, the sensible <laughs> well, one who has to be like, hey, this is crazy what you're doing and stuff. I I would argue that um you know that the that that film the dynamic in that film is actually that there's a it's a love story between Paul Rudd and Jason Segel so she she is kind of like the third wheel in a relationship where she's the romantic <laughs> interest. Um, but that's, I think that's just an mm. exception. I mean, like, you know, also she does get to react to, um, to Paul Rudd saying the word slap at a base <laughs> over and over again. Uh, oh, also, uh, just because, I'm not too sure, she's bound to share the screen with him in other scenes, but, uh, would be remiss if didn't mention the fact that, like, uh, you know, they didn't exchange any dialogue or anything, but she was sitting across from Eduardo, uh, in the scene. We saw Eduardo get up and leave. Uh, so she was sitting across from, you know, an Andrew Garfield who played Spider-Man, and she was previously engaged to Tobey Maguire, who of course played Spider-Man before Andrew Garfield did. So uh, yeah, I guess they like, yeah. need to work in like Marvel needs to work in a scene of her like as a teacher in, for Tom Holland or something, just to keep the track, just just keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> she has to just always be adjacent to yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. They should have had her as a like as be like Aunt May in like Into the Spider Verse or something like the nexus <laughs> of the entire u- Spider-Man universe was. Rashida Jones the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I would say I do love Angie Tribeca as well. Um, you know, like that series is like legit, <laughs> legitimately crazy, and it. I mean, it is kind of like a modern version of like a Police Squad, where like there's just all kinds of like weird kind of puns and just jokes that are kind of like kind of I don't know, just really weird. It's hard to kind of say what it is because the show is so kind of crazy. Um, uh, but yeah, I know she's really great in Angie Tribeca as well. Um, and I also enjoyed her in the Muppets as well. I think oh, she's yeah. good in that. I remember as well. She's uh, in. She's one of those like 
the, the TV show Freaks and Geeks is, is, is it's a haven for like did you know that this really famous person was in that show for like one one second and she is she's in an episode of Freaks and Geeks like she's the one um, it's an episode where Sam Weir like he kind of runs afoul of like, an, an older girl and she ends up writing geek and lipstick on his locker and stuff and there's a whole big thing like he's just kind of make fun of him it's like oh you're getting bullied by a girl and stuff and that, then, then it was Rashida Jones that was who was playing that part which was a bit more like you know of a, I guess it was a bit more of a range for her in the fact that like she got to play like an asshole bully and stuff in it, which is not a, a role you usually see her do because again, as I said, she always ends up kind of playing more level-headed, uh, straight-laced people and stuff. So, uh, but like I, I, I do like yeah. I, the thing is, I always really like her when I see her though, so I always hope for. I guess now with Angie Tribeca because that's her show. She's the ma- she's the main character in it. Uh, she is getting her, her time to, to soar and stuff. So. Yeah. And also, uh, it is worth saying as well, and this is probably my favourite fact about Rashida Jones appearing in this film. Uh, of course, she is a graduate of Harvard University. So, um, oh. yeah. So she's, she's sitting next to a fake dropout of Harvard where she's actually a graduate of Harvard. Um, so <laughs> she is, she is as, as the Winklevoss say, a gentleman of Harvard. Um <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, she's like a, she's in this in this kind of um, in this you know in this film she gets the role of um, you know Aaron Sorkin's kind of classic woman who always asks questions. Um, and I, don't, I mean, you know, it, used to, it was Donna Moss on The West Wing, and uh, it's been other people. I think Demi Moore kind of fills that role in um, A Few Good Men, despite the fact that Demi Moore in A Few Good Men is meant to be like a seasoned prosecutor. She still keeps asking Tom Cruise all the questions about why are we prosecuting this guy. Um, so yeah, so she does get to kind of just sit there and like be just you know in her opening line, she's literally like someone who doesn't seem to understand the internet or and and it's kind of and that's how she's then portrayed for the rest of the film until we get to the final scene where you know she does kind of turn around and say to Mark Zuckerberg, just pay them, like just give them <laughs> some money, like they want money, just give them money, and and I I kind of like that she's the one who in the end kind of takes that role. Um, but yeah, this, this is kind of a really kind of low key introduction, but that little exchange of the kind of, you know, the, 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 the two, 2000, 22,000 thing that ends up being obviously kind of like the, the trailer punchline. Um, and so, you know, obviously before you even saw the film, you knew Rashida Jones was in it because that kind of showed up everywhere. Uh, was just mm. like how big it was. Um, and that, and interestingly enough, that kind of, um, <laughs> that number comes from the Harvard Crimson, um, where you know uh, face mash was uh, was was shut down after a couple of days and the 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 quote actually comes from um, Zuckerberg as well this is the interesting thing uh, I'm quoting the Harvard Crimson here and then uh, from the uh, the 4th of November 2003 and it says by that time Zuckerberg said there had been 450 visitors to the site who had voted on their peers photos at least 22,000 times oh so there were that's so that's a so when when we get this twenty two thousand number, the source for that is Mark Zuckerberg. So, so <laughs> it's yeah. So as I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, he could be he could be exaggerating, but at the same time, he did cause a bottleneck in the network. So there's obviously you know we feel like maybe yeah you know it was as big as he says uh, it was. Well, the thing is, you know, he was under oath when he said that. There, yes, so. and of course, I, no one ever lies when they're under oath. Um, so yeah I don't know I I, I like this as just like a low key introduction for Rashida Jones because you know in the previous minute she has just been sitting there off camera and obviously if you know who Rashida Jones is you're like hold on a second 
that is the daughter of the producer of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, just sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> um, she's got to say something soon, otherwise this film is wasting her. Uh, but obviously, if you've seen the trailer, you're waiting for her to deliver that, you know, the 22,000 line. Um, mm. And then, uh, you know, we enter the realm of CGI. I mean, I can only say this, but CGI has ruined films and it ruins this <laughs> film. No, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, the CGI for the Winklevoss twins is absolutely amazing. It is like even now, or, you know, nine years later, you, you watch this scene and when they're having the conversation when they're in the boat and it's a little back and forth uh, <laughs> where they actually say, I mean... It's kind of like, I don't know, I don't know if this is cringy or what the hell's going on here, but just the whole, you know, we have this guy who says, those guys are just so freaking fast. And you see, like, there's this, the, 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 the Winklevoss is, so, like, so far ahead of everybody else. And they just have these other four boats who are barely, like, I don't even know why those guys are, are bothering to row. Like, they're so far behind. <laughs> if I was one of those other guys, instead of remarking on how fast the Winklevoss twins were, I'd be like, let's just pull over to the side and go get a drink or something. Like, I don't want to be out here at four in the morning. You know, like, uh, you know, it's... I mean, it's, it's a familiar thing, is like, because I never... Like, I'm not into, like, many sports, but, like, I did have, like, Formula One inflicted upon me by my dad, like, every Sunday afternoon, because there was, you know, that was the TV in the house back when I was a kid, so you had to watch what he was watching. And I do remember, like, the reign of uh, Michael Schumacher, where it was just, like, he was number one every damn week. Oh, my God. five miles ahead of everybody else. So it was basically... So boring. The race you were watching was just to see who's going to come second. Yeah. Like, that was the only exciting element, because you knew he was about a mile ahead of everyone else. Least... So it didn't matter. That it, oh, yeah, of course he's going to come first. Who cares? Yes, yeah, the least exciting sport in the world is Formula One when Michael Schumacher was driving. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. So tedious. Um, <laughs> I mean, people just reveled when he got into a crash, because you're like, finally, he's not in first place. <laughs> Um, you know, we can hear, um, what's the guy name who, who had the funny voice? Uh, was it Murray? I'm trying to remember his name. Is that his name? Murray? Something? Murray. I want to say Murray Hamilton. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's the guy wrong. from uh, Jaws, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But basically him just saying the words, Murray Walker. Yes. Murray yeah. Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Same Michael, same Michael Schumacher over and over again. You're just like, Oh, just say somebody else's name just for a change. <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, you know, um, in the script, it's described as, you know, the fourth boat is being crewed by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. Um, and then we get uh, Sorkin's description. Identical twins who stepped out of an ad for Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, which mm. is a nice little kind of... And he even says they know that the others aren't in their class. And even though they're highly competitive athletes, they don't like showing anyone up, least of all their teammates. <laughs> uh, which is a nice <laughs> little kind of... That's, that's the description before we get this little conversation, which is, is there any way to make this a fair fight? And of course, mm. Tyler says we could jump out and swim. And Cameron says, "I think we'd have to jump out and drown." Um, and then he goes, <laughs> "Or you could row forward, and I could row backward." And then this is the line that always sticks out for me, which is like, "We're gene genetically identical. Science says we'd stay in one place." Now, being genetically identical and rowing in in on the spot, those things aren't related, but. I don't know. I guess it's just something that that kind of um, that Sorkin wanted to put in, so he did. And then, of course, are you questioning the logic of a gentleman of Harvard here? <laughs> I, I am. Know what they're talking I am about. very much questioning it. Um, and then, of course, Tyler says, "Row the damn boat," um, and they go <laughs> off. There's actually a nice little bit earlier in the shot where, as we see the boats uh, on the Charles River, 
um, you know, which f- most famously was frozen over in the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Line, uh, Spotless Mind, even. Um, as we go out, we see some birds on the water, and they just, as a boat come along, they all, I think they're geese, they all kind of like take off. Um, and I don't think there's any way that Fincher could have staged that. They could be CGI geese, I don't even know, but um, it's just a nice little shot uh, as we kind of come in just before we get to see the, the boats. Uh, and yeah, the CGI is just insane. I mean, you know, David Fincher in Zodiac used basically, I mean, CGI in pretty much every shot. Um, you know, there, there yeah. wasn't a single, there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't any blood in that film on set. It was all done digitally afterwards. Um, and that's that's the same on um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. There's a scene where um, Daniel Craig is like in the shower and he's got like blood on his forehead and stuff. All CGI. As it's being washed off, mm. all CGI. <laughs> so it's, so David Fincher kind of, I don't know, he fell in love with CGI, but not in the way that other directors did. And this mm. is kind of, you know, if if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff with Josh Pence playing like the, you know, the other twin, which in from shot to shot varied because they would obviously do two passes every single time. Um, it's just insane the kind of the, the digital face replacement that they did. Um, now, I will say this as they cut to the first kind of shot of both of them in the boat rowing backwards, you can kind of tell like the the faces look a little bit odd. But I think that's just because this is the first time we're seeing the Winklevoss twins. And so you're like, who are these people? Who like? And this is, I don't know if this is the debut of Army Hammer, but it's certainly, you know, one of the earliest films that I can remember seeing Army Hammer in. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know, in real in real life, Army Hammer seems like a kind of I don't know a fun loving guy. I would say <laughs> he's, he's got he's got an interest in um, social media presence. If uh, I'm not going to get into it, but there's certain things that he's expressed on there that are kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, he's certainly a person who uh, let's say enjoys living life. Mm. I think like also just uh, always feel a little bad for Josh Pence though because it's just a bit like. It's like you put in all the work, but like, oh, you're, you're, he's kind of like David Prowse. Like, oh, your face ain't getting on screen, though. Like, you think they would have given him, like, another part in the movie. Like, oh, you can be in the background doing something else. But there's like, no, 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 you're there. And then we're going to digitally put Army Hammer <laughs> over you again. This is like, uh, and then the fact, too, like, you know, he gets, like, oh, the, the coveted role of, like, oh, you're playing young Rajal Ghoul in Dark Knight Rises. Like, you're in, like, one second of one scene. <laughs> But they, like, there it is. There's Josh Pence. Like, oh man, it's just such a thankless, thankless role this guy keeps getting. Yeah, he does cameo later on in the film, which obviously I'll talk about once we get to that minute. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Josh Pence did some incredible work. If you see some, there's some like uh, behind the scenes stuff where you see them playing the scenes together, and Josh Pence is basically copying everything that Army Hammer is doing. So you know, when he moves a certain way, he's you know, like when he's Cameron, he's acting like. Army Hammer as Cameron, and when he's Tyler, he's acting as Army Hammer as Tyler. So he's he's kind of copying him every possible way, and then you know they just replaced his face. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I do kind of wonder if you get like because I've always been very curious, not to take away from like Bradley Cooper, but knowing that like Sean Gunn on set on the Guardians of the Galaxy sets, he is Rocket Raccoon, like James Gunn's brother, you know Kirk from the Gilmore Girls. Everyone knows him. And so, like, you know, again, not that Bradley Cooper's doing a bad job, but I, I keep hearing, like, a lot of people on the set are saying, like, oh, yeah, he was, he was the part. Like, he was 100% delivering the performance as Rocket Raccoon. So I kind of want to be like, can we just get, like, a version of the movie where, like, you just don't CGI in the raccoon <laughs> and you just get him doing everything? Like, I'd be really, really curious to see that. I'd also be really curious to see, like, 
yeah, Josh Pence's like entire performance, just like although I suppose it, if you're saying it probably will be switching back and forth all over the damn place, but uh, it'll be a, 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 a an interesting like DVD Blu-ray extra to have this like oh here's a, a a different version of the movie where we're actually just letting this performance you know just go and like you can uh, appreciate it like um like for all of it like I know that the, even uh, Mark Commode has expressed like interest in that kind of thing for. Uh, the Spike Jones movie Her, because apparently very it was very late in the day where they replaced um, Samantha Morton was the the voice of the computer, and then they just brought in Scarlett Johansson and re-recorded everything. But he's just been like, I want to see what Samantha Morton did with that part and why they felt that they had to change it and stuff. So like, that is a thing. It's a call for like, yeah, that should be that. That would get people probably more, you know potentially more interested in. You know DVD Blu-ray sales of it's like oh yeah you you get an entirely different version of the movie. Yeah, here's here's an alternate a, yeah. film. It's just the entire Josh Pence performance. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we're going to talk about him a little bit more tomorrow, so you know we can go into the Winkle Vi, uh, as of course yeah. they are they are so well known as. Uh, but let's just kind of discuss a little bit. Uh, you know, other David Fincher films. Obviously, I've mentioned uh, previously that um, you know Psy was in Zodiac. Um, for the last couple of Christmases, I have uh, rewatched every single David Fincher film apart from Alien Three because you know he doesn't like Alien Three, so I don't know why I should be forced to watch <laughs> Alien Three. Um, uh, I mean... So, <laughs> well, for me, David Fincher's films start with Seven, um, and then you know they go up to uh, Gone Girl, and that's pretty much you know that's David Fincher for me. Uh, yeah, Alien Three yeah. is so much more different from everything else that it doesn't really it doesn't feel like a David Fincher film. It you know. I, I can argue the merits of whether or not it's a good film, but it's just not a David Fincher film in the same way that everything else is. Um, but yeah, the weirdest thing is I remember seeing this at the cinema and it was on a screen that wasn't digital, but obviously this entire film is shot digitally. So so I was mm. seeing an analog version of a film that had been shot digitally. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, other David Fincher films? Oh, well, I'm very, I'm died in the wall, David Fincher fan. Uh, like I even kind of, quite enjoy alien 3 for like the the various you know the you know the behind the scenes nightmare that it was and stuff i actually thought like no so it's something like it it delivered something very stark and unique and whatnot that the it has a very different atmosphere to the other alien movies so i was like oh no i think it it does some stuff in it pretty well but um i actually did have uh thoughts and maybe it could still even happen uh because i'd be very um fascinated i think my favorite of his like tie between zodiac which i absolutely love and uh fight club and i'd be particularly interested now in fight club because i've toyed with the idea of doing another movies by minutes looking at that because i think particularly in today's social like atmosphere to take a movie like fight club like 20 years on now that's 99 so now we're in 2019 and, uh, you know, a movie that's about this kind of weird look at, like, you know, obviously, you know, uh, a broader social themes such as, like, you know, capitalism and whatnot, uh, pre-social network. So I wonder, like, how they would spin that now if you did, a, you know, if you were to adapt Fight Club nowadays, you would have to work that kind of stuff in. How would that work? But also the fact that it's, like, looking at things like, you know, masculinity in crisis and dealing with aspects of toxic masculinity of these people who feel that they've been so buttoned down, they have to express themselves through violence and things like that. So I think it'd be like someone, if not me, someone should do like a Fight Club minutes where they they like you, and then get every week like having a male and a female guest to get both perspectives on how is this film 
look nowadays? How does it, the themes of it resonate? Like in you know in an age where we're constantly been you know seeing uh, article after article pop up about like you know toxic masculinity and things like that. In dealing with a in a movie that has like you know lines like oh we're a generation of men raised by women I don't think another woman is what we need like things like that I would be fascinated to see to to listen to that show so um, and uh, yeah if it's not me then someone should get on that so I'll happily give up the idea if anyone wants anyone else wants to do it but uh, yeah I'm pretty much sold on all Fincher stuff uh, I think the first one I saw in the in the cinema was Panic Room because I was you know, um, I think I was about the right age. I think I was about 14 or something when that came out. Uh, and then uh, the only one, only movie of his I don't like. Don't say Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see, I, even before you said it. Here's the really weird thing about Benji Button, um, uh, or the CC of BB, as people like to call it in the Finch community. Um, <laughs> that, like, that film, like... I don't know. It's really weird because it made, like, a ton of money. It was his most successful film until Gone Girl. Um, and, you know, obviously it was nominated for, um, you know, a, a, like a, a few Oscars and it actually won some Oscars as well. Um, like it, it won best art direction, best makeup, best visual effects. Uh, and it had to win best visual effects, quite frankly, because <laughs> what other film in 2008 had better visual effects than Benjamin Button is kind of <laughs> insane. But there's a, like, I, I, I mean, I enjoy kind of like the opening because it just sets up the premise of Benji Button, but then... There's a middle part, just as as um, just as the two characters, just as Daisy and Benjamin are gradually reaching the point where they're gonna be the same age, and then he realizes that he's gonna just continue to, you know, get older, but be but look younger, which is kind of like a confusing thing, and she's just gonna kind of end up getting older, and like there's a point after her, you know, where she has her accident and she like breaks a leg and she can't dance anymore, and they kind of become a couple. And I think that that part is probably my. It's probably one of my favorite parts of any David Fincher film, just because it's interesting to see David Fincher just basically attempt to do like a straightforward love story, but with this weird kind of like science fiction twist of one person is getting younger, and uh-uh. I don't know. I find I find I find this. I think you know. I think the thing is, you've got so many great actors in that film. It's really hard to like to for that film to kind of be bad. Um, but I don't know, even even like the opening where it's like, you know, the backwards clock and Mr. Ghetto, I think that's kind of like, even now, like at the time I remember it being like kind of like really powerful. But the last time I watched it, by the time it got to the end point and he's like talking about how, you know, he his clock's running backwards because he wishes that his son could be alive. Um, that part had me in tears because I'm just like, oh my God, it's like such a, like, and that's, that's the start, that's the start of the film. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, I I'm like a big fan of Benjamin Button. I like I think it's one of those films where it kind of ended up becoming like a weird punchline in like 2008, 2009, where people would kind of make fun of it. And but I think you know, like you've got so many good actors in it, and there's even like little small kind of performances, like Jason Fleming as like um, Thomas Button. He's only in the film for like you know twenty minutes, and obviously this is the guy who like abandons a baby just because he looks like an old man. Um, but like he still kind of really gives like a kind of compelling performance as this person who kind of regrets like what he did and I don't know I I'm a... yeah, I have a fe- <laughs> I just have a bad feeling though because if you do this question with like everyone every week oh I am I have a feeling you're probably going to be like at the end of it your voice is going to be hoarse defending Benjamin uh, I mean I, it's it's weird because I'm going to guess that this is the film that everybody is going to 
Like that's a, that's the no, one everyone's going to have a problem with. I, I think everyone's like no, I, high on Zodiac, and they, you know, they love kind of like Fight Club or Seven or like. There's going to be like a couple of films that they really love of David Fincher's, but I think Benjamin Button has acquired this really weird reputation over the last decade of being a terrible film. And no. uh, I don't think it's terrible. I just didn't like it. Like it was one of those. It's clearly very well made. Like everything about it is like, oh, this is a very well, like well put together, well crafted movie. It's just like the the story just didn't appeal. Like you know, I could go and blame friggin' F. Scott Fitzgerald for that, I guess. <laughs> but it's just the um, there was a treacliness to it and a kind of tweeness to it that I did not appreciate. And uh, particularly too, maybe it was because of you know the fact you're like knowing Fincher's previous work is that he's usually not one for sentimentality uh maybe that did maybe i should give it another another i feel i feel like you should because there's a there's a strong bit with like tilda swinton where you know she kind of meets benjamin button and like has an affair and i think that's like a really that's like a really funny part you know the the stuff that jared harris does is like is kind of i don't know he's just amazing because i i love jared harris and everything but like He's just playing this kind of like weathered captain who's just like yelling at everything. He's got all these tattoos, and he's, I don't know. It's just a wonderful part. Um, yeah, and I think you know Taraji P Henson and um, um, I can, I'm probably going to butcher it, but Mahashiri Ali. I can't I can never say. It. You know their their yeah. kind of like relationship is just I don't know. It's just a film that like you say it isn't sentimental, but like a lot of the film is about a person knowing that they're going to outlive everyone and as they do it they're just going to get younger and younger and there's a moment where you know obviously Benjamin Button leaves Daisy because he knows he's going to he's going to look like a teenager but he's going to be senile and mm. like he's he's basically grappling with his own kind of like you know the idea of his death at that point and you know i i mean i defy anybody to watch the final scenes of like you know, an elderly Daisy kind of walking with this Benjamin Button who's like three years old and just kind of toddling along. And yeah, he's got the mind of, you know, a kind of like a, a senile old man. Like, I don't know. It's just to me, I, I think I think it's very like it's it's a very kind of thoughtful meditation on, you know, the idea of mortality. And, you mm. know, it, it gained this weird reputation, like you like you say, of being like kind of this treacly thing. But I think that's mostly the kind of love story, which is only really like the middle third. You know, the opening is fairly brutal and the ending, which is basically a senile baby dying in a lady's arms. It <laughs> like it doesn't get like it doesn't get more Fincher than that. Like what's more David Fincher than a baby with the mind of a, a senile old man just like staring up at Kate Blanchett and realizing he's about to die? <laughs> you know, so like I mean, as much as Fight Club apparently has people who don't understand the message of it, it's such a brilliant film. Uh, you know, the game is just like stupid fun that just kind of basically takes you know like it takes basically it takes the character from Wall Street and just kind of brutalizes him <laughs> and, and leaves him with nothing, and then kind of brings him well, that, back. I think like that that might be like because the game might have the like the opposite reputation of Benjamin Button because I remember at the time. The game was kind of like people were like, is this good or is this really terrible? Yeah, and I, I think in the in the preceding twenty years, now it's it's gained this reputation. Like, oh no, that's a great film. <laughs> Whereas at the time, it was just like absolutely lambasted. Whereas Benjamin Button, as I recall, when it came out, people were like, oh, terrific. And it's only now, all these years later, where it's like, no, that's the one that didn't land with 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 Venture and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of like the game is like Benjamin Button in, in reverse. Like the two of them are going on Benjamin Button's rotten tomatoes are gradually going green, whereas the game's you know tomatoes are gradually going red. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just love David Fincher. I mean, I mean, you know, and, you know, even like, I mean, the girl with Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, I think, you know, he's, it's not like I feel, I don't feel he's ever lost a step, you know. I think even Panic Room, you know, somebody. Oh, yeah, the Panic Room's great boy. It's really, really solid thriller. Like, well, uh... Jared Leto gets a bullet in the head, so. <laughs> there's a recommendation like, I think if you sold that now like, that's like, <laughs> we're Panic Room that's the poster people are like oh Christ yeah I'm signing up for this hey I mean I tweeted it which is you know uh, if people people, there's a lot of people who don't like films more than 90 minutes but at the 91st minute in Fight Club Jared Leto gets his face beaten in so <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like we said about as much about this minute as we can uh, so let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more from me and my opinions, not on David Fincher, but on uh, the Batman movies from 1989 up to and including 1997, uh, you can go on over to Bat Minute, where it's a show I host with one of my friends, John Parker, and uh, we talk about those movies a minute at a time. Uh, you can find us just by Googling Bat Minutes, but we're on all the podcatchers and all your iTunes and your Twitters and your Facebooks. So, yeah, just uh, type it in if you're idly curious. You can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute, on Twitter at social underscore minute, and on Facebook at the social minute podcast. Thanks once more for being my guest here today, Emma. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Darren. And otherwise, goodbye. Goodbye.